0: We are so glad that you're here. If we only get the chance to tell you one thing, it's this. Give yourself some grace. We want to help you redefine failure and break down the intentional, internal work that it takes to know and love who you are. So that you can stop worrying about what other people think of you, create consistent habits and thoughts that are going to serve you, experience more peace and less anxiety, and confidently show up as your true self. I'm Jenny. I'm Joe and this is Of Progress and Purpose. Hi friends! I don't know about you, but it has been a long week for me, and I'm looking forward to President's Day coming up and having a long weekend. (laughs) I hope some of you get to enjoy that also, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you today. I originally planned on having an interview every other episode, but I literally couldn't wait for you guys to hear, um, our guest. It's, I definitely teared up during this conversation and again while I was editing it and I so appreciate the bravery and openness of today's interview. So our guest is Dana Lundine. She is a mama of five kiddos. She loves to run, homeschool, and cuts hair. She is actually the first haircut that I ha- I've had since cutting my hair myself and Joe cutting my hair during COVID. So grateful for that. Um, <laughs> it was needed. And Dana has a degree in mass communication from Dixie State College. She has written articles for the St. George News if you're a Southern Utah peep. So that's kind of cool. And she's actually one of the first people I met when we moved to where we live now. And she's such a great example to me of service and just being willing to show up and having confidence in who you are. Her story is so special and she really wears her heart on her sleeve for this one and for you guys. So I hope that you're able to get something out of it today. Our affirmation this week is, I take things one day at a time. I am wholehearted. I support and am supported. I endure with faith. I am always growing. So let's get into it. Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You have been on radio before, so I'm feeling a little intimidated (laughs) that you are way better at this than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let that scare you.
1: (laughs) I went to school for it. It's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I know nothing, (laughs) starting with that, but we're so grateful that you're willing to come on and share your story with us today. Usually, we start with a confession session, and uh, I'll go first, so you can kind of get an idea, but my confession is that I really want, you might have seen this on Instagram, I really want to run a half marathon, and so... (laughs) I've been trying to keep my insta peeps uh, up to date on my progress with that. And let's just say the progress is minimal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel yeah, I've been there before. That's okay.
0: The one week that I really did well was over Christmas break. And I did not realize that until after the fact. And then when my husband went back to work, I was like, oh, I have to run now (laughs) and I don't know how to do it. So we're working through that. (laughs) How about you? Hmm. A
1: confession. Well, I, I run every day, but I have bigger kids at home. So they stay home with the littles while I run, but, um, I run with two dogs. Well, both of my dogs want to run. Only one of them actually runs. So then. I leave her home. I like have to sneak. Maybe this is the part of the confession. I sneak out. So my pit bull doesn't see that we're going running. Cause she's not a good running partner. <laughs> and so we leave her home. And so me and my German shepherd, we go and run miles every morning and the pit bull gets to stay home in the, in the warmth and it is a better run usually. So anyway, yeah, sometimes I take her,
0: but not usually. <laughs> That's funny. My, dog will always peek through the glass sliding door and just give me the puppy dog eyes. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know, you know, I'm going, but I can't go as fast as you. <laughs> Not yet.
1: <laughs> That's funny. So you'll
0: get there. You'll get there. That's what I was going to say is if, if you run every day, I just need all the tips. <laughs> well, it's
1: because I have big kids at home. That's why I've been where you are. I I really have. So I feel you. But I do have big kids at home now that they can stay home. And I actually take one of them with me and they alternate days. So one of them can be home with the littles. They're always, the littles are always still
0: asleep, but you never know. So, well, good for you for waking up early in the morning to do that because that's another thing I struggle with. <laughs> but that's awesome. I told these guys a little bit about you, but just for them to get to know you a little bit more. What is one of your hidden talents?
1: I don't know, it's hard to say because maybe like writing because that is my degree. So being a mom your wants, desires, talents, all of those adjectives gets kind of put pushed back to the back burner while you're being a mom, right? So I do have a mass communication degree. And so I've written for magazines and online sources and different things like that. And I guess that is something that's a talent of mine, but I don't get to use it right now because how could you be on call for a news source if you have four kids at home? Because I homeschool also. And so that's really tricky and really hard. And so a lot of people, even like you, when I, and now I'm cutting hair actually. And when I had told you that when I was doing your hair, you were like, wait, what? You know. And so that seems like another lifetime. Mm-hmm. because I haven't done it for a long time, but I really, really enjoy it. And um, one thing that my husband, I think my husband would say, because this is definitely not something that's a like a trait of his. If I see somebody's face, I always remember them. Always. I'd be like, oh yeah, I saw that lady in Walmart last week and my kids make fun of me all the time for it. And there was even someone that came into my work today and I was like, where do I know you from? And she's like, "Mm, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know you. And so I said, where do you work? And she says, target. That's where I know you from. (laughs) And so if I see someone's face, if I meet someone, I never forget their face. And if they've told me their name, I will also remember their name. And that is a thing that I have. And I thought everybody did that. My husband's like, no, everyone doesn't have that. (laughs) No,
0: that's definitely a superpower. <laughs> I would get overwhelmed if that were a talent of mine, I think, because I'm not very extroverted, but that is really useful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it comes in
0: handy at work, especially. So. All right. Well, I think we'll just jump in. Our questions today are, what is one of your rock bottom moments in life? And looking back, would you change it?
1: Okay, so we had, and this is almost exactly eight years ago, we had a four-year-old and a three-year-old boys, and I was expecting my third boy, and super, super excited about it, and we automatically just knew it was another boy, because apparently I make lots of boys, and just really, really excited. Well, um, we had been kind of sick, but nothing like alarming sick, you know, just kind of like... Stuff you get when your kids are in daycare and stuff. That was before I homeschooled and life was very different then. Anyway, so we go in to find out what the sex of the baby is. And I remember I was 18 weeks pregnant with him. And because I had done it a couple of times, the ultrasound tech normally doesn't tell you things, right? They just kind of look. And she was looking longer than I would have liked at the ultrasound. And so I said, is something wrong? And she said, have you been sick? And I said, well, you know, yeah, my kids have kind of had this snuffles, or whatever, like what I would call a virus. And they, you know, they always say, let it take its course, whatever, you know? And so I said, yeah, we have. And she goes, okay. And I said, Is, what does that mean? She's like, the doctor will be in, you know, and she didn't say anything else, but I could tell she was lingering longer than I would have liked her to. So then they took us into another room to see the doctor, which we weren't planning on seeing the doctor, but what the gal had seen in the ultrasound, um, now, made an appointment for us to see the doctor before we left that day. And I don't even recall. I don't think I had anyone with me. I I actually think I was by myself even. So I, the doctor comes in and he goes, there's some developmental issues that I can kind of see with your baby. There's some things that are off a little bit. I'm not freaking out. And I remember him very distinctly saying, I'm not freaking out. You shouldn't be freaking out, but I am going to have you come back at 20 weeks to have another ultrasound. And so I kind of got a weird feeling, but it was just kind of like, okay, we're not freaking out. He's not freaking out. Okay. We're not freaking out. And like we announced it, that we were having another baby or another boy, you know, cause that's kind of what the gist of it. And I remember calling my husband and then saying, you know, they want to see us back in two weeks. I think you should come with me for that ultrasound. So we go in, same ultrasound tech. She looks at us again. And there were definitely some things that were very wrong off with the baby. And um, around this time, it was the holidays. And so we all know what that means in the medical field. Oh, well, it's Christmas, so everyone's off this week or waiting for test results or all this kind of stuff. So it's in the middle of Christmas time. And they refer us over to maternal fetal medicine for us to be seen by a specialist. And he said there's definitely something wrong with your baby. We're not sure it can be four different things. It could be parvo, which I thought was something that animals got, right? Uh, your baby could be down syndrome. Your baby could have a trisomy, but he didn't say, you know, 13, 12, whatever. He didn't say a specific one because they didn't really know. Or your baby could have CMV, which is a short, um, what's an abbreviation for cytomegalovirus we're not sure what it is. We're going to run some blood tests and blood work. You know, they monitor the baby. They took a million ultrasounds. I was there for almost two hours one time with them ultrasounding. And so it was like, okay, you know, and so he showed me a couple of things that was going on with the baby and he, his heart was so enlarged. It had was the length of his chest cavity. And then the part of the umbilical cord was actually calcifying So normally you're just supposed to see vessels. When you see the umbilical cord, you could, it looked like bones. And that was actually part of this is the baby wasn't getting nutrients. And, um, I think this is a medical requirement that he, at that point gives you your options. They actually didn't have any results back yet, but because it's already so hard that something's wrong with your unborn child, he comes back and says, we have to give you your options. You can abort the baby at any time. And we would like to give that option to you. Now you can wait it out. But he says the chance of this baby surviving is not really good. I will just put it out there. Or if he is born, he will have a lot of, a lot of complications. And, um, that doctor was actually going, he said, you know, I want you to kind of think on it, decide whatever you want to do. I want you to come back in the office tomorrow, but I'm not going to be here. There's going to be another doctor in, in the office. And at that point, and I don't know if they still do it, obviously that was a long time ago. They rotated through a specialist from primary children's hospital that came down here. They did like a one week rotation. Cause this guy uh, was a professor in Canada, which was, I thought was interesting. So he wasn't always here. So they had to fly in other specialists to do this. So he said, there's going to be another doctor here tomorrow. I actually have already sent him your scans. He's very well aware of your situation. And I think it would be a good idea for you guys to sleep on your decision, but he was recommending aborting the baby. And so I said, well, that's actually not an option for us. That's never been an option for us. I don't care if the baby is born a vegetable. I don't care anything. That's never been an option for us in our livelihood. And so it just he says, okay, you'll meet with the other doctor. So we went home, had a rough sleepless night. I didn't go to work the next day. We kind of didn't say anything really to anyone. And then we came back to the, this other doctor, which he was an amazing doctor, amazing. And I was so glad that he was the one that was there the next day because he is of the same faith that I am of abortion is not an option. Aborting the baby is not an option. And so he said, okay, this is what we can do because we're waiting for test results to come back and because it's the holiday, you're not going to get them back for like a solid week. He said, your baby is very sick. And if we don't get action, then it's not going to the, the outcome is not looking good for him. And so I said, okay, action. Like what? He says, well, if the baby has parvo, he actually needs a blood transfusion and you can, drive, fly, whatever to primary children's and I can do it tomorrow. I have an opening in my office tomorrow. So they were in utero going to give my baby a blood transfusion. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Right. I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's a thing. Oh my goodness. That's a thing. Obviously, you know, doing a uh, amniocentesis and all that kind of stuff introduces bacteria, other risks, but he said, you know, already your baby's not doing well if he has parvo, this could save his life if he gets a blood transfusion because we don't know what it is. And he said, but it's absolutely, totally completely up to you and your spouse. You need to decide what you want to do. And so he left the room and let us decide what we were going to do. And we, of course, were crying and upset and kind of feeling like it was surreal and not happening to us. You know, like, of course, I'm sure anyone in this situation. And so um, <clears throat> we knelt at the hospital bed on the side of the hospital bed and we said a prayer together and just, you know, said, heavenly father, what do we do? You know, does our baby have parvo? Does he have this? Does he have that? What do we do? And we both felt the impression that blood transfusion would hurt him more than anything and that our family needed to stay together because if I went up, my husband would need to go up. We would have to get a sitter for our kids because that would have been craziness to take them. Right. And then we would be apart. And it was actually my four-year-old's almost birthday because his birthdays around Christmas. And it was just like, you know what? No, no, we're not doing that. We're going to stay together. This is hard enough alone. We're going to be together. And we didn't feel like, you know, you kind of say you get a stupor of thought sometimes when you pray, you don't get a yes or no. You just get a, mm, I don't know. That's kind of what I felt like. Heavenly Father was like, I don't know. And so we said, Nope, that's, we're not, we're not doing that. And so he said, okay, well, I, I hope next time I'm here in the rotation, cause they went, you know, every, I think it was every third or every fourth week, the same doctor was back. I hope I see you again. I hope I see you in this baby again. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> and so then the next week, and so they started setting me up every week. I would come in and I would do a stress test and they would run all these tests, all these things. And then I could notice, we tell, because I had been pregnant two times before that the baby wasn't growing. I wasn't growing and it was hard to go into work but we didn't really tell anyone because it was hard enough for us. So we didn't tell anyone. We didn't say anything. I did. I was really close to my director at that time at my, at my work. And I just said, this is going on. I'm going to need you to be patient. He goes, you take any time you take whatever you need. I, you know, I'll make sure you're paid when you're off. He's like, you take whatever your family needs. And I said, and I did keep going to work because I needed some normalcy. I needed that normalcy. But I didn't talk to anybody about it, and people asked about him, and I just, yep, you know, and, and yes, I'm this far along. Whenever and just talked about him like there was nothing else wrong. Well, each week went by, we go in for the ultrasound, and he got more sick and more sick. And then at about a couple weeks into it, he started getting better. And this original doctor that had encouraged us to abort, um, he goes, "Wow, your baby's getting better." I didn't, I honestly didn't think that he had the bedside matter of a mud fence. I'm not even kidding. Like his bedside matter was awful. (laughs) He was so bad. (laughs) He's a really intelligent doctor, but was so smart that you about can't have a conversation with him, you know, that kind of person. And I'm like, what is he doing with people that have babies that aren't well, like, Oh my goodness, you know? And I'll never forget. I went in one time because they like take your blood pressure and your weight or whatever. in like this common area. And then you go into the room. And I said to the nurse one time, like, how do you have this job? You see people every single day with babies that are dying, with something is wrong. And, and I actually, to this day, hate the word anomaly because they said that so many times in the, these visits to the doctor. And I said, how, how, how do you keep going on this every single day seeing people that have babies that aren't well or moms that aren't well? And she said, I want you to stand up. And I was sent down. She was checking my blood pressure. She goes, stand up and look at the wall behind you. And it was full of pictures. And she said, not everybody has outcomes like you or like stories like you. Sometimes babies make it. And so she said, that's how I keep doing it. And I, and I get it. And she goes, I get where you're coming from. But not everybody is in as bad a situation as you are right now. They just have a little something or a a growth on the baby. So we're watching it when the baby's born, it's fine or whatever, you know? And so I was like, okay, okay, darn it. Why aren't I that person that has a picture of my baby on that wall, you know? So that was, that was a little bit hard, but I just was trying to be a little bit relatable in the moment with that gal. But, um, anyway, so the baby started getting better and that felt really good. And that was really neat. And then, um, we, my family got really sick again, just like a really weird, I don't know. It was a really weird sickness that we even like quarantined, you know, even back then pre COVID, we like quarantined our family for like 10 days because <laughs> we were all really, really sick. And I think my family actually needed that. I think we needed a minute together uninterrupted at home when nothing else mattered, but us at home. And then I had a really neat experience. My nephew was going on a two-year mission for our church. So before they do that, they get to go to the temple and they can choose any temple in their area to take out special covenants with our family father. And um, then they get to go on their mission. So we had taken a little bit of a drive up to Manti, Utah to go through the temple with my nephew and my sister drove and they might at this point, we had obviously told some family and so my mom said, you know what? I'll watch the kids. My sister had two at the time she, I watched my two or she had my two. And she goes, why don't you guys just take a couple's drive for the weekend and just go, you know? And so we did, we didn't end up staying because I wasn't comfortable sleeping anywhere. And so my sister said, we'll just go for the day. It's fine. You know, you don't have to worry about, Oh, am I going to sleep? Or am I going to sleep? Whatever, you know? Cause at this point he, I was actually losing amniotic fluid. So, um, he was really uncomfortable in my stomach. He actually really hurt me in my stomach. So it was even hard for me to sit up in a chair while we were driving this long drive. And um, so I was leaned back, you know, most of the drive, whatever, but it actually was a really good experience to go to the temple, to be with family. And then the very next week, I went back to the doctor or to the hospital and I had gotten to know this ultrasound tech that was in the office now. You know, we're friends. If I saw her to this day, I would know her. I remember her name, everything, you know. And um, she came in and she would always scan. And then the doctor would come in and he would scan. And I think they were just trying to make sure they were catching everything. And she came in, scan, 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 scanning, you know, and I said, he's dead, isn't he? And she said, yeah, he is. And she she just had one little tear trickle down her cheek. And she said, I'm sorry. This was an outcome that I wanted for you. And sorry, I don't cry about this a lot because we have done a lot of growth. He did end up having cytomegalovirus is what the, quote unquote, they actually said, inconclusive tests. But really with all the things that he had with the enlarged heart, um, with the calcified, you know, umbilical cord, all this kind of stuff that that really, it couldn't have been anything else, but it really touched me that she was so upset because she was fighting for him and for us too. And that was cool. That made me feel as, you know, better as much as you really can be in that situation. And the doctor actually had the audacity to come in and say, Oh, I don't think I said this before when he said that the, your baby's fighting, your baby's getting better. And I said, well, maybe science doesn't have it all figured out, huh? I remember saying that to him and he didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> and then he ha- did have the audacity to say, well, maybe faith doesn't have it all covered either. Yes. Over the ultrasound of my dead baby. Yeah. And I was like, well, I said, I hope that you, something to the effect of, well, I hope your opinion changes because without faith, what do we have right now? We don't have anything, you know, faith that there's a better outcome or that something will be better. or This happens for a reason or he came to us for a short time or whatever, you know. And so um, so then they referred us back to our regular doctor and he immediately called me because <laughs> he had delivered to other babies. You know, he immediately called me and he just said. Dana, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You do whatever you need to do. You take whatever time you need with that baby. And I said, Wasn't that kind of kooky? Like, is that weird? Whatever, you know? And he said, You know, pioneer people, you know, back in the pioneer days, they didn't know that they had lost babies. He goes, Physically, It will do nothing to your body. It will not hurt your body. And he said, even sometimes your body just naturally goes into labor on its own because it knows the baby's not alive. And he said, You do whatever you need to do. And so we went home, started planning, telling our family, you know, all this stuff. And my first two boys are really close in age. They're 11 months apart. So this kind of started in my first month or my first son's around his birthday. And now we're ending. (laughs) Now this is almost four weeks later, or actually closer to five weeks later, we're ending at my second son's birthday around that time. And I absolutely did not want them to have the same birthday. And I did not want, and we had named this boy crew, his name's crew. I didn't want to have crew overshadowing his birthday and maybe have it not, you know, cause I want that to be his birthday and not someone else's birthday or us to be sad during his birthday, you know? And so I chose in a couple days later to be induced to deliver him. And that was really hard, obviously, as you can imagine. And I labored with him for 24 hours, just like I did all my other babies and just really, really hard. And I went into that thinking We'll just have the hospital take care of him, you know, like cut and dry. I, I thought that would be the easiest, you know, like, and I know this sounds crazy. And, and, um, but so that's, what we were gonna do, we were going to have the hospital take care of him. I was going to deliver, we'll go home and kind of get on with our lives. And I know it sounds super cold right now, but at first that's like, it seemed natural to me to do that. So we get into the hospital to deliver them. they, and actually the hospital in St. George has a really neat room that was donated by another mom that lost a baby and it's really nice and very nicely decorated and just very classy and home homey, I guess you would say, and just nice. And we call it the special room and you know, I hope no one ever sees the special room and I hope I never see the special room again, but it was really neat to have that because you just could be really comfortable in your space for a second. And it wasn't cold, like in a hospital room anyway. So I went in to deliver him and whatever, and they have a, a social worker come in to talk to you about your options. You can have the hospital take care of the baby. You can take that baby home. You can have the more mortuary come get the baby literally because he's technically considered as medical waste because he's already dead. And he wasn't, I think it's, I'm trying to think of what it like 32 weeks or something like that, that they don't even consider a human, a baby if they're born before that. Yeah. Right. Craziness. So anyway, so I, they say, really, you can do whatever you want with this baby. And so we were kind of like, okay. And there was even uh, mortuaries in town that donated services to stillborn babies. And so that's actually what we ended up doing, which I was not, you know, and we were there for 24 hours and that's not what I had planned, but I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I held him. We bonded with him. I got to see that he had red hair. I got to see him for him for a second. Well, really we could have stayed there all day. (laughs) They wouldn't have cared. And so, um, We got to meet him. We chose not to bring our boys there. And that actually is the only thing that I regret in all of this. We chose to try to protect our boys because, you know, he was only 25 weeks in utero. He was sick, so he was only nine ounces when he was born. He was really little. And we thought we were trying to protect the boys by not having them come. And really, even to this day, they ask all the time. We never met crew and we didn't take pictures with him because I, I didn't want them to be, cause that was our sacred time. He's sacred to us. And I didn't want that to be made fun of, or do you know what I mean? And so that's actually the only thing I regret is not having our, our boys come and meet him and be a part of that with us, but everything else Went as smoothly as possible. We got, you know, tons of gifts and just really kind words and flowers and, you know, just really neat things. And and crazy enough, you, when you, I hope no one else that's listening to this ever has this happen. You go to the hospital to have a baby, you come home with a baby. Well, that day I left with a baby and that was really hard. And even two hours after I delivered him, they discharged me. And I went home, and that was a different experience I've never had before. (laughs) I'm glad to say I've never had it since, but um, that was really hard, as you can imagine. And they asked, one doctor actually treated us like a science project when we were there, and that was really hard also. He couldn't wait to get his hands on our baby to to run tests and to do different things. And it was like, wait a second, mister, <laughs> that's my baby. You just put in that metal tin, you wrap him in a blanket, you give him to me. So even though it's so hard already, and then other people that just get so wrapped up in the science of it, don't even see that part of it. So and the nurse kindly escorted him from our room by his elbow <laughs> and she was She was amazing. She actually, her and I are friends to this day because of how well she treated us. And, um, she fought for us against him and that was really neat. Um, so we went home and they asked us if we wanted an autopsy. And I said, I was like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? You're going to cut into my baby. No way. You know? And then my husband, he's always a better sound of reason in our relationship. And he said, sweetheart, If he gets an autopsy and that helps one other family not have to go through what we've gone through, isn't it worth it? I said, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So they actually drove him to um, Salt Lake City to do an autopsy. They had him for 10 days actually running lots of tests and doing different things and studying because it was a super rare. The percentage is actually 0.02%. That he got sick from me, that he got the he got the virus from me. And a lot of people actually ask that when I tell my story. Don't you feel awful that he got sick from you? And that actually has never crossed my mind. I don't, I don't go there because everything happens for a reason. And maybe all he needed was that body. And then he could go back to the arms of our Heavenly Father. And I believe that. I do. I strongly believe that he just needed a body here and nothing else. Do I miss him every day? You bet. You better believe it. It was just his eighth birthday last week and he, we did bury him and it was a really, really neat day. And, um, we go and visit his grave every single week because it's near where we live. And for his birthday, we go and give balloons and we sing and we spend time there and, um, I'm so glad that I was able to get my head on straight when I was there that we have a grave that we can go visit him in. Otherwise, he would have been with medical waste in the dumpster, you know, and that just makes me sick now thinking about that and saying it out loud. But those are your options when you go in. There really aren't any wrong answers. You do what works best for you in that situation. Someone from our faith actually called us and told us that. They said that our church has no stance on it even you do whatever works for you. And so we did. And I'm so glad that we made that decision. (laughs) I really am. And even now he comes and he visits me and I love it. It's kind of fun to see. I actually see him at the age that he is when he comes back and visits me. And I've had some people ask me that too. You know, do you see him as a man or do you see him? I see him as an eight year old. (laughs) I see him as a two year old, you know, whatever stages we've gone through, that's how he comes back to me. And We had another child a year later and he, you know, they watched me really, really close because of crew and the challenges that I had with him. They did a stress test every week. I actually had no complications with him at all. He was like textbook pregnancy, birth, whole bit. had no problems with him. So it's not, you know, it's not something that would occur again. It was just a one-time thing. Even if he, even if I would have been in my third trimester with him, the chances are that he wouldn't even have gotten sick. So, because I was not very far along with him, that's why he got sick. So, that's even, you know, harder. But you can't go, why did that happen? Or why did this happen? Or why couldn't we have had a couple more weeks or whatever? You can't do that because you're just going to beat yourself up about it all the time. And I still will go back to everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences, everything happens for a reason. And we were done having kids. I was fine having four boys. And then he actually appeared to me and said, there's a little girl up here. You can't be done. There's a little sister up here that needs to come down. And so we have a little girl now too. She's two years old and we adore her and our life would be different without her. Cause if I was raising four rowdy boys, I would have not have had another one. <laughs> so, you know, you just never know if that was the role he was supposed to play to get our little girl here. I don't know, but, he is a special part of our family. I always say I have four boys and a little girl and we miss him. We miss him a lot, but I know everything happens for a reason. So that's why we're just able to go on and pick our, pick ourselves up. And do I cry and do I struggle sometimes? You bet, but that's part of grieving too. So, and I don't think you ever stop grieving for a lost child. I don't think anybody ever does. What was the second question? Did I
0: cover it? Yeah, I think you did. It was just what would you change or would you change it?
1: No, I wouldn't. I would I would do it again, even though it's so hard. If that's part of the plan, then we do it again. I
0: feel inadequate to say anything about that, but I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your being willing to share. And I love your focus on faith that you can't worry about all of the what-ifs, no matter what the grief is. And that's a really powerful lesson. So thank you. Thank you for being willing to share that with us. If there was anything that you could say to either people supporting a loved one through this or someone going through it themselves, what would you say?
1: I would say that there is no... There's no rules on your grieving, how you're feeling, how long it takes, your reaction, what you do in that. There's absolutely no rules. Uh, One thing that did help us going back is we got tons of gifts and tons of blankets and presents and stuffed animals and all this kind of stuff. And what really, really, really helped me, and it, this took some time because it was really hard to walk back in those doors because you you almost have PTSD about it. like last time I was here, my baby was dead, and you know, you just go through all this stuff, but we packed up all those blankets and stuffed animals and things that we had been given, and we took them back to the hospital to give to other moms going through this exact same thing. and that was very healing for me and for my family. Because my boys got to see the special room that we call it, and we just, you know, I got to hug some of the nurses, and they remembered me, and that was really neat. So we'd find something, maybe something like that, to give back that helps. Um, the special room was donated by a mom that had lost a baby. Obviously, that was probably her way of giving back to help others. And so that's what I would say. But don't try to put a time frame on it, because everybody's time frame is different in grieving, and just be accepting. If you're the one supporting, just be accepting of how they're going through it and why and how long and all those things. Just love them.
0: I love that. And so many of the people involved in your story, that touches me, like the nurses and the ultrasound techs and even the mortuary that donates that. And on the reverse side, the people who really were mindless about it You just never know what somebody's going through.
1: At at his funeral, or I guess his burial, we had a book. I Because we had bought a baby book for him. So we just had everybody sign in that baby book. And something that was really impactful that my aunt said is she said, I've never even met him and he has impacted my life. So sometimes when you go through trials, it's actually not just for you. It's for other people around you to see how you react to see how they would react to know that there's a bigger plan you know i mean i could seriously go on forever on the list of reasons why treat why trials happen to us and it's not just for us it's for other people too and that was really impactful for me and i was so glad that she said that i don't know him and he's affected my life and so it was like you know what for the better of course and so to me that's that's worth it of the heartache.
0: Yeah. You're only my third interview so far, but if I could pick a theme between everybody's stories, it's that our grief and our pain connects us. And so I'm grateful that you're willing to come on here and talk about that with us. That's really special. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. Is there anything you want to add or anything that you want to shout out before we go? No, I don't think so. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. I just don't even know what to say. That story really speaks for itself. I hope for those of you who have lost a child or have lost a loved one, that you were able to take something away from just those raw feelings that you aren't alone and that grieving is okay. In fact, our one-liner for today's episode is there is no right way to grieve. And for our journal prompt, I've learned that a reason isn't always apparent in the moment, but I do think there's comfort in knowing that everything happens for a reason. And looking back, I can see certain experiences prepared me for later in my life and helped me strengthen others like Dana talked about. So maybe it's not something you're going through right now, but think about a difficult experience that helped you grow or helped you be there for someone and write down what it taught you. And for your homework, the next time something happens that really throws you off your game, I want you to actually say that to yourself. Everything happens for a reason and you don't have to know what that reason is right then. But maybe just knowing that there is one will offer a little bit of peace, that it's okay to struggle and it's okay for it to be hard, but that there is a bigger plan and rock bottom isn't the whole picture. And for my takeaways today from Dana, number one, you never know what someone else is going through and sometimes people don't talk about it. So be kind. Number two, you can support someone by really paying attention. Be in the fight too. Number three, you decide what works best for you and your family. There are no right answers. Number four, small acts of service make a big difference even if you feel like they go unnoticed. Number five, everything happens for a reason. How would your life be different without your challenges? Number six, giving back and service on the part of the griever can be healing too. Number seven, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to cry. It's part of grieving. Number eight, You never stop grieving for a lost child. Number nine, there are always going to be what ifs, but don't overwhelm yourself worrying about all of them. It's impossible. Number 10, there's no rules on your grieving, how you're feeling, how long it takes, your reaction, what you do in that. Everyone's time frame is different. And if you want to connect more with Dana, we threw a link up to her Instagram in the show notes. It is a private account, but if this episode really touched you in some way, we'd love for you to message her and thank her. And you can go show support for her over on our page as well. So thank you guys so much for being here every time. It means so much to us. And I hope these rock bottom interviews are helping you reshape your perspective a little bit and also just finding that value in connecting with people who have felt hard feelings too. And I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Spread love. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love to hear from you. Tell us how the journal prompts are going for you, what you learned, or what you need the most right now.
1: You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Of Progress and Purpose.
0: And if you ever think of someone who might like to hear us think out loud too, feel free to share the podcast with a friend. It doesn't matter how you do it.
1: Most of all, thank you for being part of our community.
0: We know your time is valuable, and we hope you love spending it here as much as we love having you.
1: See you next week.